Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is entrepreneur and Abraham Hicks fan, Louis D'Souza. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Our friend Anne-Marie is not feeling up to snuff today, so she's going to take this week off. Uh, reluctantly, as she said, she was uh, looking forward to meeting our guest today, but uh, she'll be listening in, I'm sure. Uh, but we do have a guest joining us. His name is Clay Boatwright, and we're going to let him tell his own story. But uh, I-, I love, Clay, the-, the little tagline that you have associated with you. It says, life is too important to be taken seriously. Exactly right. I love that. I absolutely love that. So thank you. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again for the invitation to join you today. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad to have you. Give people an idea of uh, what you uh, what you trans, uh, transformed from and transformed to to get you to the place that you're at today. Okay. So um, so the transformation is, was, was rather substantial. So Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, married there, wound up moving to Texas in 1994, and was on a pretty traditional career track through the consumer packaged goods industry, sales and marketing guy. Um, along the way, my uh, late wife, this has passed away, my, my wife and I had three daughters. Uh, my oldest now is 25, and then I also have 22-year-old identical twins who have pretty severe intellectual disabilities and autism, which was not something we were, we were signing up for. And uh, it was tough. Uh, their, their disabilities are pretty severe. Then around, uh, they were born in, in 2000. And around 2004, I have what I call a, a faith-based experience, which uh, God put me on a, on a different path. Or not on a different, he, he enhanced my path. That's probably a better way to put it. So I, uh, I had what then became two jobs. There was the one in the grocery business to pay the bills. And then there became the job that people eventually came to know me for, which was disability advocacy. So I had basically two full-time jobs, the second one being disability advocate here in Texas that eventually led to advocacy at the, uh, the national level. Got a chance to meet a lot of people, was uh, appointed by President of the United States, President Obama, to an advisory committee in Washington, uh, did some, a lot of stuff down in our state capital of Austin. Then uh, along the way, once I got all the kids out of the house, my uh, wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and it was kind of nursed her through that for 18 months of chemo, and she ultimately uh, passed away about three years ago. And so this is, it sounds all pretty heavy, pretty heavy. Uh, three days after she passed, I had another faith-based experience, and uh, the short story is I launched Clay 2.0. And Clay, nothing wrong with the 1.0 model, <laughs> but, uh, but the 1.0 had a lot of experiences. Had a lot of, I, I told people at the time when my wife passed, I was 55 years old at the time, but had the life experience of an 85 year old. Um, but uh, God kind of revealed to me that, you know what, I'm still relatively young. I've got a lot of opportunity ahead for me. Uh, for the first time in my adult life, I had literally no obligations and responsibilities. Mm. Wow. How often yeah. is that? Um, again, my wife and I are faith-based folks, so she's, doing, she's with God. I, I did not have to mourn my wife because she is with God uh, doing what all Christians aspire for. So, so I did not have to mourn her. I missed her mystery. But um, but I had a new opportunity ahead of me. So what would that look like? And that's what the Clay 2.0 was. That then culminated in uh, me authoring a book that was released uh, earlier this year called God's Plan, Our Circus, which touched based on a lot of the things that, that I just touched on. And, uh, and here we are. I had a, I've had a lot of friends over the years who knew the challenges my family had. And I've always had a positive, upbeat, 
slightly off 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 color, but slightly <laughs> alternative way of okay, off color, <laughs> so alternative way of of looking at things. And, and people often say, "Well, you need you really need to write a book." Like, finally got to a point. I said, "Yeah, let's do that." Anyway, so that, that that's my hopefully short story of how of the transition from the, the relatively boring guy of of 55, 58 years ago to uh, the charming debonair man you have. Aha, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Who has a very strong sense of himself, and that's a good Thank thing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that jumped out. I'm sorry? I was just say file that under the uh, don't take it too seriously. Oh, okay, okay. So one of the things that uh, kind of jumped out at me when you were talking about your story, telling your story, is how quickly you were able to jump to what you call Clay 2.0, which is a kind of a 21st century way of, of labeling. I'm going to take control and re-engineer my life. And I, I, I personally have gone through something very similar in my own life. I know many, many people have gone through other similar things as well. The, the big challenge whenever you're, you're dealing with major change like that is how do you come through to the other side to the point where you're in that good space, that, that happy, positive space? And you came through fairly quickly, it sounds like, which is, which is a, a very, strong endorsement of, of the development you've done in your own life, in your own ways. I mean, Louis, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the stories you've told about, because you, you've been through like, God, I don't know how many transitions in your life as you've been doing your exploration. And each time that you got to the new level, it was, it, I don't know, this is the way it sounds to me from the way you've told the story. It sounded like it got easier each time. It sounded like you know, you, you, it went through the really hard stuff and then it was a little bit easier. And then you went through another one, a little bit easier, a little bit easier, a little bit easier. It's like you, you go through enough of these, you say, well, shoot, I can handle this. This isn't a big deal anymore. And, sure. and that's what that that happened with you, Clay. Um, now I hear what you're saying. I, I would put it maybe a slightly, slightly different spin on it. I wouldn't say they got easier, but the, what happens just like a athletic conditioning. Okay. So let's think of a, a professional athlete. Okay. Yeah. Athletes, as they go along, I wouldn't say what they do becomes easier, but they, their bodies become conditioned to what they're doing. And it's that conditioning which equips them to, be, to then be able to handle whatever the unique physical challenges they encounter. I think the same thing is true with our lives, particularly when we've gone through uh, extraordinary circumstances, like in my case, raising uh, two children with very severe disabilities and having to deal with not only the challenges of home, but the challenges of, of society and having to engage them in, in society as much as possible. And then the, the health issues with my wife and then uh, dealing with her passing. Um, using the, those examples, my wife's passing, I believe I was able to work through that in a, in a positive way and in a quick way specifically because of the challenges I had had right. for you know, 17, 18 years before my, my children, uh, we found a, a great group home for them to move into near our home, of them living at home. Those challenges conditioned me to then handle things that, uh, that would come down the road like my wife's passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've said for a long time, I said this thing before my wife died, and I've said it since, uh, in terms of getting sad or, or someone you know, making me upset, I'm like, I've raised two children with severe disabilities, held my wife's head in my hands as she passed away in our bed, and ultimately poured her ashes in the lake. There is no way you can make me have a bad day. That is humanly impossible. <laughs> I don't say that braggadociously at all. But when you've gone through some tough stuff, 
Yeah, go ahead. Bring it on. What you got? What you got? Yeah, I, I think we become stronger as we go through experiences like that. And and I think that's what I meant by the easier part. Maybe easy wasn't the right the right adjective to choose, but uh, more it, resilient. It, it, more resilient. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Okay. Yeah. Great phrase. Yeah, that's a great way to express it. Because that, that resilience, I don't know, there's, there's something about going through so many different trials like that, that after a while you say, like you said, bring it on. Hey, I can handle anything at this point. <laughs> right. Well, and, 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 and hopefully you're picking up a lot of it as perspective as well. Right. So a, a phrase that I use in the book is, happiness is a choice. It is, it is an absolute choice. There was a... Uh, so. I, I go through in the, in the, in the saga of uh, God's plan, our circus, I walk through the various things I mentioned. The comic relief is at the end, which is the fun of dating in your mid-50s. Um, that's a, a very unique experience I had not uh, ever anticipated having with dating apps and so on. But uh, during that process, I, I was having a conversation with a woman who, who um, made an interesting comment to me. She said, yeah, Clay, we all have experiences and challenges, baggage and drama. I thought for a second and I said, well, yes and no. We all have experiences and challenges. That is absolute truth. But baggage and drama are optional. That's all on how we choose to look at it and happiness is a choice. And I think so many of us, when we're caught up in our, our rough situations, kind of let ourselves get sucked into it a little bit and we kind of forget that no, we are choosing to be depressed. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not getting into discuss clinical depression or, or things of that nature, but we sometimes we actually just choose to um, look at the negative side. And, and so often, it, it sounds cliche-ish, and it may sound easier than it is, but you know, I, I, choose, I choose not to do that. I choose to look for the opportunity, to look for the upside attached to it. Um, and that has, helped, that has helped in building that, that tolerance or helped building that yeah, when you're talking about baggage, I think about it as the metaphor of what it is. It's a representation of you have literally luggage that you're carrying as you're going along. And and the, the funny thing about that uh, luggage is the only way it goes along with you is if you actually carry it. You have to pick it up. You have to grab the handles and you have to carry it with you. Mm-hmm. And because you actually have to do that, that's what makes it possible for you to say, I don't really need that luggage anymore. I'm not going to bring that baggage with me anymore. So that's where it becomes a choice. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people may believe it's individual the situation determines the size of the luggage. Is it something that can fit in the overhead bin? Does it fit <laughs> in front of you, or does it have to go in cargo hold? Um, it's really our more our attitude and perspective that defines that size of that luggage, as opposed to whatever the specific event. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important stuff. So Louis is being uncharacteristically quiet, which usually means one of two things. It either means he is just waiting for me to give him the opportunity to basically take the mic over, or it means he doesn't actually have anything to contribute yet because he just he's just taking it in. So which is it, Louis? Is it is it that you you, you don't have anything ready for it, or or are you just kind of like ready to take over? No, I kind of agree with Clay <clears throat> that um, you know what life throws at us, we don't have much control over it. Um, but how we deal with it, we have complete control. And, you know, it's, it's how we deal with it. And, uh, if we take our psychological drama and, and, uh, and, and just focus on, you know, now we know what we don't want, what do we do want? And then you go into the positive area and off you go. 
there's a old phrase I'm, I'm sure you've heard. I think it's originally attributed to Zig Ziglar. I'm not entirely sure if he originated it, but it's the it's your, your attitude determines your altitude. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a very very true statement. Yeah, I think that's true. Funny thing happens though, life, and in the process of life happening, we do get more and more opportunities to um, decide how we're going to respond to scenarios and situations that come up. So on the one hand, we can say, bring it on. But on the other hand, guess what? Life brings it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we have a choice in that. That's right. Good point. <laughs> there, is no, there is no off switch on that. You know, it's coming whether we want it or not. Right? So now the question becomes, when you when you, when you open yourself up to the potential, or actually most likely the reality that the next set of challenges is going to come along, how do you? What, I mean, right now, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I'm I'm kind of getting the sense that you're in a really really good space right now. But uh, do you anticipate at some point you're going to get more challenges and, and that you're kind of looking forward to it? Uh, I have no doubt I'll get more challenges. That uh, that is a given. What they are, I have absolutely no idea. It's funny. God, there's a phrase I often use that uh, God is smarter than we are, and we need to get over it. And <laughs> you, a lot of times, people are I think are reluctant to do that because we we have this crazy idea that we are in ultimate <laughs> control of our destiny. No, no we're not. <laughs> I, I might control the fact that I got up at 7 a.m. this morning. I may be able to control that. That's probably basically. Um, but yeah, there, there's more heading heading my way if there's a case with the dollars. And as we've been talking about, I hope I have the, the wherewithal to tap into the experiences uh, that God has enabled me to accumulate up to now to deal with those in whatever way uh, he feels appropriate. And um, I also, from a faith standpoint, have this belief that you know, we talk about blessings. You know, we Christians in particular like to talk about blessings. And when you hear that word, it's natural to assume something positive. Oh, excellent. Something great happened, it's a blessing. That may very well be true. But I believe that a blessing is anything God's involved in. And I genuinely believe that uh, God can directly cause some certain things, but in many cases, he knows that something will happen, and he will allow it to happen, and thus will not interfere, will not intervene. And that is his prerogative. God will allow that to happen because he knows the process of doing that as part of that conditioning that that he needs us to go through for whatever is going to come come in down the road. So, so I believe that, a, that sometimes even the, the negative things that we find ourselves engaged with, the, the bad things that happen, may actually be a blessing as well. For that very reason, we're being honed for something down the road, and before it happens, we don't know what it is, and even after that, after it happens, we may not even realize, you know, what it was. That's the whole "God smarter than we are" thing. <laughs> I, I was just uh, before we did this show, I was on uh, a friend's podcast. Listeners will know who David Strickle is. I was on his podcast, and uh, David and I were talking about how we we both had some uh, major 
semi-traumatic events going on in our lives in the last few months. Um, in his case, it, he, he would, had previously been on my podcast in September and had been explaining how he was in this really great place and had been for some time, but it was, he was in such a high vibrational place that it was actually kind of boring. And he was thinking maybe he needed to dip down a little bit. And three months later, his house burned down. <laughs> so <he> got, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly right. Be careful what you wish for to the mind of that. Well, yeah. Also, me as the as you're describing that, you know, how many times <laughs> you're going on vacation and you know you're on the cruise ship or you're lying on the beach, you think, oh man, I'd, I'd love to be, this to be permanent. No, you don't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're really, you're really dumb. I think we need a, a healthy level of uh, of challenge in our lives to, to keep us keep us sharp, keep us. In and one of the things he was uh, talking about on his show today in regard to that event was he could easily have uh, – this is – I'm using terminology that he uses in his community. He could have easily gone down the spiral, meaning gone into a negative space and really just swam around in that negative space over the fact that his house burned down um, and that he and his partner had just – they had just literally a, like a day or two before finished this long-term project to redecorate the whole thing. I mean, it was like perfect, perfect timing in that sense. Um, he could have gone way down the spiral. He didn't do that. Because he realized that you know what, it doesn't. It, it, it's not that big of a deal if I don't make it a big deal. I get to decide how I'm going to respond to it. And and I mean, this is not. This is me explaining it the way I would explain it, rather than the way he would explain it. But it it amounts to the same thing. He made the decision that he wasn't going to get all worked up about it. He made the decision that he was going to his life was going to continue just fine. You know, there was going to be insurance to pay for it, all this kind of stuff. You know, it was all going to work out just fine. And that's the difference. That's the difference between that. That's the choice we were, we were talking about before. That cho- that happiness choice. It, it is. I'm going to uh, draw a parallel to, to something else. The um, an interesting thing about uh, about me, which I'm told I'm told is unique, uh, particularly among among men. Um, so I've been gainfully employed for forty years, I guess. Full time employment for thirty five. Uh, I know I'm blessed to know thousands of people, and 95% of them have absolutely no idea what I do for a living, but everybody knows what I do for free, and that's been the disability advocacy piece. Um, back on the what I do for a living side, the, what I call the, the job that pays the bills. <laughs> so the job, the jobs that paid the bills, like many people, I've got, been on the, the, the downside of a, of a layoff once or twice. And when I went through that, it certainly is not something you wanted to look for another job and all that kind of stuff. But I always viewed layoff as simply nothing, as simply an inconvenience. <laughs> you know, I, I, my identity was never tied up into my employment. It was simply to pay the job or pay the bills. So companies have to make decisions. I get that. I totally respect that. Position gets eliminated. Got it. There's, my self-worth is not being questioned in that. The worst thing that has happened in that situation is the inconvenience of having to go find another job. Now, of course, there's the, the natural concern of how long is that going to take and what job you're going to get and all that kind of stuff. So, so those are real. I'm not meaning to downplay that. But, um, but it's that, that perspective piece of even when going through something dramatic like many of us have of losing a job, is it, is it really more than just an inconvenience. 
That's a choice. That's a choice in how to look at it. And interesting how our choice in that matter actually influences what we end up experiencing as we're transitioning through it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Something else that I, I talk about uh, in the book, or really on the, the front end of it, I, uh, I'll give the quick scenario. My uh, wife and I made this Memphis, Tennessee, wound up moving to St. Louis for a job, um, job opportunity that I, I was given and uh, moved up there. And almost immediately the job was not. And I'm sitting there, oh, man, what did I do? Here, and mm-hmm. I, was all, I was all 25 years old. Here I am, 25 years old. We got a new wife, moved to St. Louis. Yeah, new place. We didn't know anybody. You know, down. I remember talking to my father. Uh, and it was about six months after the move. I'm talking to my dad. My dad, you know, this job is not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, do you think we made a mistake in, in moving? My father was a, a very quiet man. Um, he was classic. Greatest generation, Depression era, World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very quiet, but when he spoke, it was usually pretty profound. So I asked my dad, so do you think we made a mistake in moving? My father looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> he <laughs> looked at me and said, of course you made the right move. You made the right decision because it was the decision that you made. Mm-hmm. Because you looked at the situation at the time. You weighed the pros and the cons, and you decided what was right for your family. Now, if situation changes down the road, new information comes in, situation changes, make a new decision. That's okay. But never second-guess yourself. And never do what-ifs. That's what my dad told me when I was 25 years old. It resonated in a huge way. So I I use a quote that second-guessing is a worthless mental game. That does nothing more than make us sad and depressed as we think about this life that could have been or situations that could have happened if we had done something else. There is actually a psychological word for that better life that we envision through second guessing and what ifs. That psychological term is called a fantasy. It is something which simply does not exist. But but the the reason I go through this is, is what my dad was saying is that of course it was the right decision because it was the decision that you made. And that just really resonated with me in a huge way. Like yeah, sure was, hearing, something about your friend's house burning down for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what it really does is it reassures the person hearing that, that you made the best decision you knew how to make. Right. And what goes along with that is, so stop beating yourself up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm uh, originally mentioned from Memphis, Tennessee, so the home of Elvis Presley. And there's a, an old story about Elvis and uh, Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips was the music producer at Sun Records who dis- discovered Elvis. Mm-hmm. And after a few years, he sold Elvis' contract to RCA. And mm-hmm. RCA was a much bigger organization, had the, the infrastructure to basically make Elvis. Two years later, Sam Phillips was asked, you know, you sold Elvis' contract for $35,000. Keep in mind, that's $35,000 back in 1950, whatever. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like one of the largest uh, transfers assignments at the time. He said, you know, considering that what Elvis was getting, do you ever regret selling selling his contract to RCA? And Sam Phillips was like, good Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, first off, it was a, a lot of money at the time. Mm-hmm. But also... Um, it was at that time a very, very smart decision, and he also understood the, the, the 
his own capabilities, and he knows knew that he would not be able to take Elvis where Elvis ultimately went. But I always thought that was rather interesting when you think about you know, some mm-hmm. something of magnitude of, a, of an Elvis Presley coming into creation, and uh, Sam Phillips who discovered them, who you know, people ask him, "Do you ever regret?" And he's like, "Nope, not for one second." That's a great answer too. I love that. So. I'm going to see if I can find some way to, to draw Louie. This is like uncharacteristically quiet for him. Oh, and it, it, makes me, I, it, it makes me think I should take his temperature or something because this is just not normal Louie going on here. <laughs> but uh, tell me. Coming in and out in the background. So I'm trying to uh, mute everything out. <laughs> so tell us what's going on as you're thinking about this. Yeah, I mean... My, the advice my dad gave me once was quite interesting. We were uh, hiking and camping, <clears throat> and I've been doing it my whole life. And we had all these people from from the big city, Johannesburg in South Africa, and uh, we're, we're there in the middle of nowhere. And there's this huge mountain called the Testicles, and I'm, I took them right over these these mountains by myself. And my dad took them the the long way around along the river. And I dropped them right off at the waterfall. And they were like so impressed, like a little 10-year-old boy goes all the way into the middle of nowhere, just knows exactly where to go and drops them off at this waterfall. And um, they were praising me. And I was saying, oh, I've been doing it since I was a young kid. And, you know, it's nothing <laughs> and all the rest of it. And my dad walks up to me afterwards. He said, Louis, when somebody praises you, he said, all you have to do is two words. That's thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it left a stark impression on me. Uh, yep. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> praises me now. <nuts>. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. Mm. Yeah. That was it's definitely awesome. a learning curve. Because when, when you're young, you know, and 10 years old, you don't really think in, in, in those terms. Because to have your own level of power is is quite important because it's what controls your destiny and how you move forward. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the less you say, like your dad, Clay, um, he didn't say much, but when he did say something, it, it was quite profound. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But you were talking, and that, that is power. a level of power. So, so, so often the people that say less, you know, I often used to think all, all the quiet people were very wise and all the rest of it, but. I found out that's not necessarily true either. You mentioned the word uh, power. Something comes to mind. Uh, many years ago, I had a, a boss who asked me a, a pretty simple question. He said, "You know where what power where power comes from?" Nope. And a lot of people think that money equals power. So no, that, that's not the case. Power comes from having options. So when you think about people who are powerless, people who are powerless feel that way because they feel like they don't have any options. They're stuck in a situation. They don't know what to do. They're, they're stuck and they can't get out. Now, what, what money does is money enables you to have more options. So that's where the, the bridge is there. So really, the, the, key to, the key to happiness <laughs> or the, the key to having power is identifying options. And you know, that's one of the things that I've tried to do um, as I – was raising my children and was learning a lot about the disability industrial complex um, and how to maneuver the school <laughs> systems and how to maneuver the community support programs and things of that nature. And 
became very knowledgeable about those uh, many years before my children even needed them. Uh, but I developed a, a level of understanding and, and talked to families and people would ask for my thoughts and whatnot. And the whole objective there was to help them identify options that they currently didn't see. And many times those options didn't cost anything. It was just knowing, quite literally knowing who to call or where to reach out. And it was always, it's always amazing to, when you see someone who is going through a very, very difficult situation and feeling powerless, that something as simple as telling them to call this phone number, ask for this person, and say these words can totally release a whole new lease on life that they never even anticipated. Mm-hmm. Simply because they now have an option they did not have before. Yeah, I think when you when you're extremely flexible, you have a lot more options. Mm-hmm. Those people who think, you know, it's always been like this, it's got to stay like this, and, you know, that's the way it is, um, you really, really limit your options big time. And I'm very much for being as flexible as possible, you know. Um, we were talking earlier about life. <clears throat> and if you're alive, you've got options, mm-hmm. you know. It's as simple as that. And if you, if you're flexible, you know, I've always said I can always heal myself as long as I can breathe. Mm-hmm. If I can breathe, then I can heal myself. And if I can't breathe, I'm dead. So it doesn't really matter. I've always kind of thought that, you know, if I was thrown onto an alien planet in an alien city, but I couldn't speak a language, I'd just bounce up and, and I'd be successful because you know, I've always felt that I want to be flexible enough to be able to deal with any situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when, when you trust in, as you would use the word God, when you trust in source energy, the way I'd look at it, um, there is a, a, a far greater level of flexibility than those who only trust in what the physical universe has taught them. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, flexibility is is critical. And I think a lot of times we create these own barriers for ourselves um, and, and restrict our own flexibility. That. Um, a lot of times it's uh, uh, perspectives or uh, here's an example I've also often used is uh, stress. Everybody at some point is going through stress about something. When you think about stress, this is, this is a psychology according to Clay. So take it, take it. <laughs> you're, getting, you're, you're getting your money's worth on this one. Okay. So, so here is our goals and objectives, right? So we have goals, objectives, plans. That, that's what. But then along the way, we have reality comes in. Reality comes in about right here. Well, the delta between these two points, that's where stress is. It's the gap between the objective and reality. Now, for so many years, we've thought, well, if I work my rear end off, I'm going to boost my reality, and I'm going to hit my objective. It, it, that can help. That can happen, and thus reduce the stress. Um, sometimes, though, and this is where people are often challenged, is hey, look at those objectives, and I wouldn't say lower them, but maybe recalibrate them. Mm-hmm. Or recalibrate them for a period of time. So if you're able to recalibrate Cut down on your stress, that will help free your mind, help enable some of those options to see some of those options we're talking about, 
factors that help you move to the next day, and then at some point, you're able to increase your reality and your objectives along the way. But I think a lot of times we get so focused on the way we want things to be, and when reality doesn't live up to that, then, oh, I'm under all this stress. Well, what exactly is the source of the stress? Is it an exterior factor, external factor, or is it the fact that we've got that delta, that gap, between whatever it is we've created as our objective and whatever the reality happens? Yeah, the, uh, we would call that micro-shifting or, or micro-stepping. Uh, the, yeah. the, the equivalent would be uh, there, there's a hill that you're, you want to get to the top of, and, and you, you can, if you if you have enough athletic ability, you can get a running start, and you can try to, in one leap, get to the top of that hill, or you can walk up the steps. It's really up to you which way you're going to go. Up the steps is probably a lot less stressful than trying to do it in one bound, but you can go for one bound if you really want to. Um, but, you know, consider reducing the stress level. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> Okay, the fun, the fun way I like looking at it is with two statements that, that kind of started all off. One is if you want something and you get it, you feel good. If you want something and you don't get it, you feel crap. Those are the first two statements. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the other thing that I like looking at is, um, well, when you take those first two that we were talking about, that, that is kind of like, your reality level and your achievement level mm -hmm. when you want. So, and, and in between those two levels, what, what you want and what you haven't got, um, is, is the stress. Now stress, the way I like looking at it is it's really your psychological drama. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, there's only two ways anybody can ever be hurt. One is physically and the other one is mentally. And physically, we've got a whole society-based system to protect you and to deal with it, which is police, law, prisons, doctors, etc. And um, but mentally, what what is happening is we're torturing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is doing it to us. We are choosing to focus mentally on what we don't want and there consequently we're feeling the pain mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what we do want, which will get us out of it. So that's the choice. It's a personal choice. <clears throat> so, you know, what I'm, I, I spend a lot of my time doing is just making sure that when I know what I don't want, I, I really start looking at, Oh, what do I want? I use that as a catalyst to, to spark that, that whole scenario of knowing when I know what I don't want, I have a better idea what I do want. And I just follow that. So, and, and also being very clear that if I'm depressed or any of the negative emotions, I'm doing it to myself. Nobody else is doing it to me. Right. I'm choosing to focus mentally on what I don't want about those subjects. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a, it's a lot easier to, uh, to view that rationally when you're not in the, in the fire. Uh, when you're in the midst of it, it's, uh, it's hard to see it that way, but I think that's also the benefit of having conversations like this or listening to podcasts like this, that those can plant the seeds that when people do find themselves in the, in the fire and dealing with the, the extreme conflicts, it's like, okay, I remember hearing about, hearing about this or someone offering a different, that might, a different perspective or that I really can control how my attitude is and that it really can, can lift that pressure off of their shoulders. 
Yeah, somebody once said to me, can you choose your next thought? Can you choose your next thought? Okay. Can you? Can you choose to think of a happy thought just now, right now? Can you, can you choose? So you can choose your. I would, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can. And when, when you start looking at it like that, you start realizing you can choose to feel better simply right. by changing your thoughts. Exactly. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, I talk about in the, in, in the book is that we all naturally look at life through the lens of our own experience. And one of the challenges that I think we have, and I know I've encountered this over time, is you know, I look at life through the lens of my own experience. And sometimes I forget that other people have had different experiences. And as a result, they view life differently than I do. And I finally had to realize that, you know, that's okay. <laughs> that, that is, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong. And, I, and the reason I bring this up is I think, particularly nowadays in, in American society, you, you see it in politics all the time, but I think you see it in, in other areas. We have this, this belief that, um, well, my view is right. Why? Because it's my view. Therefore, I'm right. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no, you'll have a hundred lists of uh, reasons as well. Yeah, yeah. But the reasons that I justifications for it. Yeah, is it's all they're all based on my own experience, based on what mm. I either what I've experienced or what I've learned or maybe my views are based on my experience, and therefore I must be right because these are my experiences. And this is my view, and I think a lot of times we forget that other people have had equally legitimate life experiences of their own, which then curated their, have become the curation of their lives, which have then led them to a point of view that's very different than mine. And that is perfectly okay. Um, and it's ridiculous to think that, for me to think that someone who had a very different life experience than I've had would have my same view. It doesn't even make, doesn't even make good sense on why that would happen. But I think when I started when I started, and I, and I tell you exactly when I started learning this, when, when I got into the advocacy world and I started meeting people very, very different than me and hearing their story. That's why I love, and the great thing about podcasts like this, the great thing about this is you're able to hear other people's stories. Right. right? It's, it's like the benefit of reading. You get experiences you would not have, or enlightenment, if you will, you would not have had otherwise. So through the, my disability advocacy work, I started meeting people who's Stories were very, very different than mine. And just kind of learning that and, and, and seeing their point of view and realizing, you know what? I now understand where they're coming from because I've heard their story. And I no longer jump to a conclusion that, oh, they think differently than me, therefore they're wrong. No, they're not. Because guess what? And I had their experiences. I'd probably have that exact same point of view. Um, and that's okay. And, I, and hopefully that comes with maturity and again, having experiences, but also comes from to know people and meeting people and, and sharing our stories. I guess another thing that, that I've, I've pushed, I know I've pushed this aggressively in the disability world, is parents who have kids with disabilities or, or folks who have a disability themselves, society naturally almost trains us to try to minimize it. Keep it quiet. Or don't tell people your problems. You know, keep it to yourself. Uh, you don't embarrass yourself. Don't. My late mother, or whatever. Yeah, don't embarrass the family. Hmm. Too late. You know? um, 
<laughs> you gave birth to me. Sorry. <laughs> that was on you and Dan. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, you know, so, so we worry about those, those crazy things, which really do nothing to perpetuate, you know, life at all. Um, and what I always urge people to do is get comfortable in sharing your story because when you share your story, um, number one, you may bring a blessing or bring a benefit to other people who are like, oh, well, I thought I was the only person who lost that. <laughs> I thought I was the only knucklehead who was dealing with those situations. So knowing that, I hate to use the phrase, there's uh, yeah, there misery, love, com- love company, but, but knowing that other people are going through it, that can make you, that alone can make you feel better. Now, and then sharing your story and giving people ideas that they would perhaps not have thought of before. That brings us back to the giving them power that they didn't realize that they had until they heard your story. So you're bringing a benefit to other people. But then to me, it's also been a benefit of just getting the load off my, my own back. You know, not that I'm asking other people to carry it, but but keeping everything honed in to ourselves, I mean, that, that'll wear you down. I mean, that'll just that'll eat at you um, mentally after a while. So just speaking it out loud and articulating it and sharing it brings not only a benefit to other people, it also brings a Selfishly, benefit to me. I love what you're saying about perspective too, because perspective is, to me, that's one of the great, um, the, the greatest values I've gotten out of doing this podcast for the last ten years. Because I've encountered so many perspectives from so many hundreds of people uh, coming onto the show, sharing their views, and I don't always agree with them. But the interesting thing, I've said this many times lately, because it just really is true. The ones that I disagree with the most were the ones I learned the most from. Mm-hmm. Sure. I had to be willing to hear it the first time. I had to be willing to digest it and, and ex- accept it and, and, and hear it expressed the way they were expressing it and understand it uh, using the words that they use and, and all that kind of stuff. But if I was willing to do that, man, I got some good golden nuggets that way. Golden mm-hmm. nuggets I never would have gotten any other way. That's, that's what I'm hearing. When I, when I hear you talking about perspective, that's what I'm hearing. No, 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 absolutely. And those gold nuggets that you're describing, those gold nuggets as a result of you hearing them and having the, the wherewithal and the empathy to think about it, in a way, those are now becoming part of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you take forward into whatever the situation is that they, they, you tap into that. Yeah. Oh, well, it's easy for me to see exactly how that has played out because I look at myself 10 years ago compared to myself now. I mean, it's the same person, but it's a different person. I mean, it's both at the same time. It's the same person who has evolved into this completely new and improved, uh, you know, what was the phrase you used? Clay 2.0. This is Walt 2.0, at least maybe even version three or four. I'm not even sure, but yeah, it's, it's like, Whoa, Oh my goodness. Look what came out of this. Yeah. I love this stuff. I love, I love the power perspective. Louis, Louis, when when Louis first came onto the show, some of the stuff he was throwing at me was like, you know, catching me off guard. Like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> now, like you say, I feel like I've internalized it. I feel like it's it's mm-hmm. part of me, and I'm, I'm grateful for every single tidbit. Keep on thinking of a perspective my mentor threw at me when I said to her, "How old are you?" She said to me, "Don't judge me by this lifetime or lifetime alone." And it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Louis 2.3 million. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that's, that's so easy to do. It's, it's nice to have that. Uh, it's nice to have that mental stimulation. It's well. It's also emotional stimulation. Yeah. Because any time that you're exposed to something that is quite different to the point where you might even disagree with it, there is an, an initial negative emotional reaction that you, that you can tend to have. But if you allow it to play out and you allow it to, if you allow yourself to give yourself and to give the person you're listening to that level of attention that you were talking about a moment ago, that emotion shifts and mm-hmm. it's going to shift almost inexorably, like unavoidably mm-hmm. just because the more that you pay attention the more it becomes part of you and the more it becomes part of you, the more that you kind of acclimate it to yourself or you acclimate yourself to it. I'm not sure which way it goes, but what, one way or the other, you, you kind of get used to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You, yeah. you talk about, uh, you talk about emotions that trigger a, trigger a thought. Um, so I mentioned my father earlier who offered me the, the great perspective on not, uh, not second guessing myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another, uh, in that same vein, this may not be on the, that much of a, of a positive side, but as I mentioned, he was, you know, World War II, Depression era, um, great guy, good guy, very quiet guy, but, um, he was from the generation that men bury our emotions. Mm. Okay. So men don't cry. Okay. That was kind of his, his thought. Um, mm-hmm. something that people joke about is, uh, is hugging. So I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm not a big hugger. I, I, I'm very clear that the people who I will initiate a hug with are women I'm blood related to and my spouse or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I've ever had a spouse and girlfriend at the same time, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you won't give me a hug, Glenn. <laughs> better clarify that. Um, so, so blood-related females and spouse girlfriend. And, um, and part of, and I, part of that is my dad trained my brother and me that men don't hug men. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, it's not, it's not a homophobic thing. It's not, nothing along those lines. It was just, just men shake hands. That's what men do. So that's kind of been, been ingrained in me. But the, uh, what I, where I have mentioned from my, my father's guidance over time is, uh, I'm quite comfortable in shedding a tear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you see this gray hair? This is, this is well earned. Okay. <laughs> well earned. And, uh, and I'm, there's a certain pride in that and, uh, and pride in those experiences that we've been, been describing. And, you know, if I, if I'm, com- I'm comfortable enough shedding a tear from here here and again and and what i've learned is i've done that it's enabled it's almost been cathartic in a way and it's helped me clarify my story or when i'm when i'm with someone and they're sharing their pain and i can share the empathy of that or experience the empathy of that and i'll allow myself to emotionally get invested in the conversation there's an appreciation they have of that um as opposed to trying to be a, a stoic ourselves to reflect our emotions. Um, now, I mean, certainly there's, there's certain boundaries, obviously, but yeah, keep them under control. But we, but we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't fight to hide them because there's great value. There's there's gold nuggets, if you will, uh, to be to be held within that emotional element. Uh, 
Oh, no doubt about it. Those gold nuggets, uh, well, you can't actually access them unless you're willing to express the emotion. And, and when you, when you can learn to express emotion on a regular basis, first of all, it's freeing like crazy. Second of all, it's healthy. And so you end up being in a healthier mind space more often. And third of all, why would you want to go back to the other you know, the other lifestyle, because I, I grew up the same way. My, my, my parents were also uh, depression era and I learned the same kind of thing about, you know, men don't express emotions and so forth. Boy, when the day came, when I finally was willing to let go of that and, and start expressing emotions, my life got so much better, like so much better. And I kept thinking, wow, you guys were teaching me the wrong thing there. <laughs> That man, that was not the right guidance. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. They, uh, in the last oh, four months, four or six months, I've had a number of friends of mine who are my age, you know, late 50s, who uh, are either losing a, a parent, which is not unusual at our age, or losing spouses. So I've, mm. I know two friends have, who have lost their spouses who are like my wife, who are very young. Both of these gentlemen are, are men and they lost their wives. And um, what I've been able to do is I've reached out, and uh, so when my wife passed, there I was kind of flying by, flying by myself. Um, all my kids were out of the house. I live in Dallas area. Aside from my three daughters, two of whom can't speak, um, there's not really anybody here, and there was mm-hmm. like nobody reaching out to me. So I was kind of all by myself, mm, having to work through, having to work through that all by myself. So one of the things I learned was. When I've met people or encountered friends who've had a similar situation, I immediately reach out to them and say, hey, I'm going to be checking on you. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine's uh, wife, I went to her funeral last weekend, and I, are, I have on my calendar for two weeks from today, it says, call John. Because I'm going to text I, I'm going to text John, and I'm going to say, hey, see how you do. Mm-hmm. So it comes from that, that empathy of, of experience uh, to do that. Um, but one of the things that I, I tell my friends, who are losing their spouses or lost their parents, based on my experience of having gone, having lost my spouse and both my parents years ago, is you'll be going along fine. Everything will be great. And then you're going to get the sneak attack. Mm. Sneak attack will always come when you're not expecting it. Right. It'll be triggered by something you will not possibly have imagined. Um, And it'll it'll knock you off. It'll slap you upside the face. Mm. But it's also going to be good. And I use the example that the biggest one that hit me was a few weeks after my, my wife had passed, I went to a local diner near our house that she and I used to go to on Saturday morning for breakfast. So I go over there and ah, our favorite table is, is opened in the corner by the window. So I go over and sit there and the, look at the menu that I've memorized for years. I don't know, why, <laughs> but I know exactly what I'm going to get. And I look at it and okay, this comes up, it's my order. And I lower the menu and it hit me. Mm. Hundreds of times I'd sat in that chair and lowered that menu, and my wife was supposed to be sitting in that seat right across from me, stirring her coffee and doing whatnot. Right. And that was empty. I'm like, I call it in the book an emotional tsunami. Mm. But again, I'm in a public space, and I, I held it together through my my eggs and bacon. Um, went out, got in my car, and cried like a baby. Mm. Like Just unloaded it. Totally unloaded. Just big tears, sobbing. This is horrible. There's like 10 minutes. I'll tell you what. When I was done, I was like, oh, 
Yeah. You know, um, my wife was still passed. The, 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 the loss was still there, but it just felt so much better to get that up. Right. And right. thus, when things would happen, so I'll call them smaller sneak attacks, would happen down the road, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I, I was more conditioned now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there was like a, a cathartic benefit that came from that. So, so I tell people, um, it will happen, and that's perfectly okay. Now, don't sit around scaring yourself <laughs> in anticipation of it, because, again, it'll come when you're not expecting, but it's okay. Sure. It's perfectly okay. Um, yeah. and, and I like I like to think that um, kind of letting people know those, those types of things, giving a little heads up is, is my way of leveraging my experience to hopefully you know, make theirs a little bit easier. Absolutely. And, and I love also the fact that uh, you, you mentioned how you made a note on your calendar to contact your friend a couple weeks after um, his most challenging event, um, because it's a it's, it's one little piece of a, a little example of what the, the big benefit is to being socially connected. It's a, it's a topic I like to bring up fairly often here on the show, how important it is to develop our social connections for the time when we need them. And that friend of yours, he had developed a connection with you, and and you were basically giving us a, a, a textbook lesson on how do you play your role out, how do you fulfill your role in that connectedness to him. Um, I think the more that people learn to do that, first of all, it, it means that they're better at being a, a friend or a, a, a good relative or, or, or a spouse or whatever uh, the relationship might be, but it's also an example of how we become stronger and more resilient advocates for each other mm-hmm. because that advocacy is it's at the core of why social connectedness is so valuable to us. We are all connected. I mean, regardless of, of you know what our spiritual beliefs are or how we think about stuff, whether we think about it, uh, being connected to God or, or source energy or whatever we're thinking of, we're connected. I don't care which way you're looking at it. We are all connected. So the connections are already there. The question is, are we going to recognize and utilize them or, or are we going to shut ourselves off from them? So I, I keep advocating to, to everybody, build your social connections, value them, cherish them every step of the way that you can because, and, and the research backs this. The more that you do that, the more success you're going to have in life, the, the more, uh, the, the easier it's going to be to to handle the challenges that come along, to handle the traumatic events that come along. Everything gets better by honoring and cherishing and developing those social connections. Yeah, absolutely. In uh, psychological terms, um, at, at one point in my career, I thought about becoming a licensed professional counselor. Mm-hmm. And I took about six classes through the course of several semesters at a, a small local university here in Dallas. But wound up not, not pursuing it, but um, but learn things along the way. One of the things that uh, I learned early on was there's a psychological concept called systems theory. Mm-hmm. And systems theory is basically what you're just describing. It is our, we are all part of multiple systems. You know, we're the, we have our family system or we have our, the neighborhood we're in or we have the system that, of our work. So different uh, social, well, using your phrase, the, the social uh, networks that we have um, mm-hmm. really brought, brought parallel to the, the systems theory that was conceived or articulated you know, decades ago. But, it, but it's, it's that, that we all have these various social networks or systems that we're part of that also inter, interlace at different points. 
That's right. And, and that there is a dynamic that goes on. Uh, certainly the closer an element is to us individually as ourselves, it's more influential, but like the, the ripple effect of throwing the rock in the lake. You know, you throw the rock in the lake, you've got the ripple effect. Well, as the systems, as you move farther away from, from ourselves, the specific impact may decline, but there is still a, a residual impact happening in our various outer regions of our systems and how they interact uh, or interconnect. Um, so it's a very real, it's a very, it's, it's a, to your point, it's a proven psychological concept yeah, um, on that connectivity that we have and to not, not ignore that. That's a wonderful thing, too. Now, uh, we're running a little short on time, so I want to make sure I get, get a couple things in here. So the book is called God's Plan, Our Circus. I presume that's available all the places the books are available. Ah, we can, for those who can see it on screen, we can see it on screen. There we go. There we go. Thank you so much. God's Plan, Our Circus, a family odyssey through autism, death, and reinvention. So it's a little bit of a heady subtitle. Um, <laughs> they often are. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I will say the the, uh, the back of it, the the, uh, the back description says, "You make plans and God laughs." Right? So that's uh, the tone of it. So um, there's a, a lot of humor and a lot of faith uh, engaged in it. Basically, the objective of of helping inspire people who are going through tough challenges. Uh, again, I use my examples of raising two children with severe disabilities and then the loss of my wife, but helping people going through whatever challenges that they may have to realize that. Uh, Happiness is a choice. Uh, don't take it too seriously. And, uh, and throw that kind of perspective on there. And hopefully, hopefully it uh, will help uh, inspire some people in different ways. It is available on Amazon. So. And, and for somebody who wants to find out more about you, Clay, how do they reach out to you? So you're welcome to uh, reach out at info at um, dot com. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, on Facebook, uh, however you choose to. So Playboatright, B-O-A-T-R-I-G-H-D. Um, and would be, I would be delighted to connect them in, uh, in different ways. You mean you like creating more social connections? Oh my goodness. I, do. <laughs> I, I, I somewhat consider myself rather introverted and antisocial, but I'm an antisocial people. I'm an antisocial per- person who likes uh, meeting other people. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that's, that's the micro steps again. That's what we're talking there about. There. There. Yeah. I appreciate the the opportunity to be with you today. It's been a fun conversation. Thank you. Oh, my glad, my, my goodness, we're glad that uh, you were able to join us. And uh, I want to share with you what I, I share with all my guests because you you're a giver. You 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 try very hard with your second career, as you called it, mm-hmm. um, to to give back and and to help make the world a better place. And very often, givers don't recognize, they don't notice the people that they're giving to because they don't see them. I mean, you know, they, they have listeners who hear them on a podcast or they, you know, have readers who read their book or whatever and they, they never hear them and they never see them. They don't know what happens with them, but they help them in some way. And I like to make it a point to thank people for that. So on behalf of those people that you'll never meet and that you'll never see whom you've been able to help, thank you for what you've been doing and what you continue to do. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very kind. Thank you. And we appreciate you as well. And, and Louis, uh, I still say this is one of the quietest I've ever seen you, but, Nevertheless, it was good. So thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.